Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Naturopathic Times. I'm your host, Katerina Meister, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Stephanie Yakupidia. Before we start the show today, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. It really helps us keep the show rolling and getting that good content of naturopathic medicine out to everyone that we can reach. And the more people we can reach, the better. So please don't forget to do that. And on to the show. So today's guest first earned her bioengineering degree from the University of California, San Diego, and then later went on to pursue naturopathic medicine. After obtaining her naturopathic medical degree from Bastyr University, California, she went on to pursue specialized training in biofeedback from the HeartMath Institute. She also has done extensive work for the Institute for Functional Medicine and the International Association of Functional Neurology and Rehabilitation. Please welcome our guest, Dr. Ma Ube Hashemi. Thank you. Hello to you ladies and to all of our listeners. Thank you for having yeah, me. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Um, you were first on our list to reach out to, and we're so excited that you made it. So we know that you grew up uh, in Dubai and eventually went on to pursue bioengineering. And we're kind of curious how you eventually found naturopathic medicine. Sure. So you are correct. Although I grew up in, Iran, uh, in Dubai, but I'm originally from Iran, so I was born there. Um, during war, which kind of, you know, um, made my childhood um, quite an interesting and rich experience. Um, and not necessarily, you know, in a, you know, quote unquote, what we, what we might have in mind in a traumatic way, but actually in a um, starting to develop deep understandings of, about life and us human beings um, from early on. Um, appreciating, you know, the value of kind of keeping your spirits uh, high no matter what, mm -hmm. using dance and music and laughter and, and connection, human connection. So um, I left and moved to Dubai, uh, moved to Geneva for a little while and then to Dubai um, uh, when I was a few years old and grew up there. And then, like you said, you know, moved to States to pursue um, an engineering degree. You know, I did it and um, started working in the industry as an engineer. So I was working for a big um, pharmaceutical slash um, medical devices company. And my role was uh, directly in, uh, in being involved in designing cardiovascular catheters and stents and um, all the other good stuff that's, that's kind of part of um, you know, that world. But to backtrack just a little bit, you know, um, while I was going to school, my aunt was diagnosed with oral cancer. And that was really my first, I should say, long term or chronic experience with um, the conventional healthcare model. And just got to see again, from a personal at a personal level, kind of what are the aspects that work and what are the aspects that do not work uh, within the system. And, you know, how even, even if there is, let's say, um, a model of care that is being delivered when there's no regard necessarily for the quality of life of the patient, kind of what the outcome is and what, how does it trickle down, not just to the patient, but the, the people around them that are, you know, caretakers. 
So, um, you know, it was a, it was slightly over a year and a half of, um, of, you know, for lack of a better word, struggle or battle. And then, um, she passed and, you know, I kind of, uh, finished up school, entered this world. And, you know, what I was seeing was, um, a lot of my coworkers were going to end up becoming the folks who needed our products, you know, uh, whether it was the, the, you know, the, the, the medical, at least for me in the medical devices side, um, you know, coming to work with giant, you know, cups of soda just for breakfast and um, just lack of any conversation around, especially because if we're in the business of treating or addressing um, cardiometabolic disease, uh, which the corporation was, um, no conversation around the role of lifestyle factors and, um, you know, and the power and the value of them. So, and, and, you know, things kind of little by little were um, coming to surface for me, especially at an individual level. I just became more and more interested in learning about the human body, how we can cognitively and physically perform better, and finally decided that I needed to kind of shift gears. However, shifted gears in a sense of um, apply to journalism, um, uh, grad, grad programs in journalism, wanting to do science journalism, thinking, you know, there aren't enough people um, asking hard questions. And I applied and I got to the schools, the programs that I wanted to, and there was still this kind of lingering voice saying, I need to think about this, put all of the admissions on deferment for a year. And um, uh, I was on a call with this woman in the neuroscience department at UCLA at the time. And I was just, we were just talking about things. And she said, you know, a lot of what I'm hearing is, have you heard of this thing called naturopathic medicine? And, and I said, no. Um, so she said, it, I have a feeling you will be you would be very interested. So just look into it. And it was a very kind of, you know, um, there was no agenda behind it. She just mentioned it. And when we finished our talk, I started digging into it and I just truly fell in love. It, you know, it wasn't the first time someone had mentioned in my family or around people around me, oh, maybe you should you should give, you know, going to med school a try. And it was always no, you know, I know you you all have conversations with you know some of your guests who wanted to become doctors from, you know, ever since they were five years old. Not necessarily the case with me, even though there, I absolutely love human connection and, and the science piece and all of it, but it just did not manifest in that way for me. But the more I learned the, about the philosophy and the more I learned about the approach, I just was like, this is it. So, um, so that's how I found, um, my way into naturopathic medicine just was happy you know fortunate to have you know faster start um you know a campus in california and kind of the rest yeah of the i find that so interesting that you are so scientifically based but also very artsy at the same time it's very hard to find an engineer wanting to do like journalism um so i think that's really neat yeah, it seems like you saw a lot of conventional protocols put in place, but they weren't asking the why. And so naturopathic medicine was asking the why. Why are we doing this? Exactly. And asking the why about the, the person sitting mm -hmm. in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. 
for those listening, we actually first met you in our naturopathic philosophy class, was our first class in naturopathic medical school, where it dives deep into the principles of naturopathic medicine and therapeutic order. And I think that's really interesting that you mentioned how the root cause is really important to you. What else did you find unique about naturopathic philosophy? You know, I would say <laughs> what is which one of our philosophies are not important, you know, you, you take any of it from, you know, the healing power of nature, which when you first just talk about it, it kind of sounds like woo-woo stuff that just people made up, but, um, and we can, you know, I'll be more than happy to get into any of it that, that might uh, be interested, uh, interesting to your listeners, um, getting to the root cause, like I said, um, and the, the therapeutic order in a sense of really being committed to doing no harm, meaning, of course, as a doctor, being equipped with enough information and, and knowledge and keeping yourself up to date, but also it means um, picking up things or, or um, implementing therapeutics that are the least harmful at their least effective dose first before you move up the chain. Um, or the, you know, the, the, the tenant of, um, or the philosophy of doctor as teacher. I mean, that's a lot of what we do. I know that's a lot of what you ladies do um, at, at our clinic um, at, at Bastier. So really, I mean, every single one of them. Another important one is prevention. How much do we, you know, harp on this point of no matter what we're, addressing i mean think about just you know even if you put the mental emotional piece aside which you kind of can't and just look at your physiology and and the physicality even if we want to simplify the human body to the point of okay let's take a car you know you buy a car you cannot just run the car and expect it to perform day in and day out for you. You have to maintain it. You have to take it to the mechanic and make sure that everything is, is good to go. Um, repeatedly, hopefully before, before it breaks down. And again, even at that simplified um, kind of uh, level, at least we owe it that much to our bodies to do that. So um, all of them are, you know, I just, I have so much love and, and um, respect for every single one of them and every single one applies. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the inner ring and the spokes that you talked about on your website? So my understanding is that the spokes are all these different therapies that naturopathic doctors utilize but the inner ring has very basic things like movement and feeling alive can you explain this concept a little bit more to our listeners sure absolutely so um i think you're referring to um uh the the like you said the the ring of fire <laughs> that i have that i have on my website yes um you know this is you know, a lot of what I do with my patients and um, the things that I talk about is the things that I really truly do myself and, and were, was doing for years before I even, you know, thought of going to um, a medical school or then, you know, becoming a doctor. And what I've noticed really matters um, 
whether you're trying to prevent disease from happening or um, you're trying to uh, address or treat a disease. And sometimes it's easier to, especially, you know, depending on the culture and the environment that we live in, um, it's easier for some to be missed um, relative to others. So, you know, and I kind of make this partly for myself to not forget when I'm sitting in front of a patient. Yes, of course, I want their hormones to be balanced, but, um, or let's say, you know, um, I want to understand their story. I want to understand the timeline of what led to them being sitting in front of me uh, on the chair here. Um, but at the same time, I cannot forego or I cannot um, forget about the important role that connection has in their lives or um, movement and or being able to or have the ability to sim simplify life, declutter. Um, so it was more so for me to um, keep all of it in mind. So essentially, it's basically a wheel. Exactly. And the wheel is moving and the spokes are helping it to move, but you can't have a wheel without the inner ring. So the Absolutely. inner ring is the determinants of health and the spokes are the therapies that you can do to assist its movement. Absolutely. You said it well. And, and you know, the thing to keep in mind, because, you know, I ask myself, if when I'm sitting with someone or, or let's say it's a group class, what is it that I want, like what, what um, at the core of it all, what is it that I wish for them? And what is it that we often hear? I mean, just earlier this week, I had a patient who um, came to me for um, weight loss. That, that was his major complaint. And, and it took about, you know, halfway through our um, conversation, our session for him to say, I don't know myself anymore. And he's a very successful, um, let's say, professionally very mm -hmm. successful. But I'm almost quoting him verbatim saying, um, I have zero self-confidence. And I don't know myself anymore. I've lost touch with myself. So, so I ask myself, what is it that I want at the core of it all, at the root of it all for them and that is for them to come alive, to feel alive. And, and a lot will fall into place after that. And a lot has to fall into place for that to happen. So that is kind of the idea behind, you know, if I want to, um, if I want to move us, you know, or move the patient towards that goal of coming alive or that aliveness, what are the components that I need? You know, I, I need to help them to build resilience. I, I need to find what moves them. How is it that they can get into a state of flow and, and just like forget about time and all the, you know, mundane stresses of life? What are the forms of connection? Do they even understand the value of healthy connection? Do, you, do they know what having healthy connection means? Um, the value of movement. And then, you know, kind of going Beyond that is all the, you know, um, kind of the 
tools, the techniques, the technology that we have as doctors to enable some of the, the inner ring um, concepts. When you're in a state of flow, you're basically in the state of consciousness or um, mindfulness. When you're not in a state of flow, what does that look like? I'm sure there are people that can that can talk to this a lot more eloquently than I, but um, when you're not in a state of flow, it feels like you're stuck. Like everything is much more difficult. Um, like there's something missing no matter how much you have um, or is around or who is around. Um, there's this sense of stagnation stuckness and lack of um lack of flow you know um feeling a bit suppressed feeling like you're not expressed fully you haven't reached your potential um and yeah i can kind of you know go on and on about that but that's kind of what it would feel to me or um, is some of the things that I hear from um, patients, the way they explain it. And you see this manifest as different, different physical ailments and people that walk into your clinic, the sense of like stagnation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and sometimes we, we feel um, we might, we might see stagnation or stuckness as, you know, what, I don't know what to do with my life, but not always that. A lot of people are actually on cruise control, doing what quote unquote society um, deems as extremely successful. Um, you know, they have the family, they have the partner, let's say husband or wife, they have the children, mm -hmm. they have the, the, the you know, mm -hmm. um, successful uh, career or profession, yet the feeling is the same. Stuckness is kind of also, you know, like you were saying, Stephanie, manifest in, in, in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to think that you could have everything good on paper, but internally things are stuck. Yes. And I feel like a lot of the times maybe we re want those successful things because we think we'll feel better through those things or we feel like they will give us what we need and want in life. And often it's maybe a little bit deeper than that about what we want. In yes, life. absolutely. And, and, you know, the, to your point and also to just, again, because it's so fresh in my mind my conversation with my recent patient, it was such a good example of this because, you know, he's still young, but he says, you know, I've, for the past several years, I've let go of myself and I just poured myself into my work, which paid off in a professional way. But, and he's one of the lucky ones. He's one of the lucky ones because he has the means and he has a partner who happened to um, be interested in, you know, seeking integrative care for um, her partner, which, which is my patient. And he found his way, you know, into our practice. But this notion that I will, I will do all of this and then I will attend to my health is, is kind of an elusive and not really um, 
sometimes even practical because a lot of times you will not be able to reach your quote unquote destination because your body will say no. Yeah. I mean, we're working. I mean, me and Stephanie focus on self-care all the time because in medical school, you're constantly battling that same battle where you have all this work to do. And if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't do the work and then et cetera, et cetera. So absolutely completely get that. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, (laughs) our work with our patients revolves around unpacking that, unpacking the fact that your, you know, your worth is beyond, I mean, you know, that's kind of one side of it, the, the whole mental, emotional piece and how we value people and more so in our culture and society. Um, and the other piece is again, understanding that in order, even if your mission is just to perform at the highest level, which, you know, as doctors, we need to understand our patient's language and kind of use that, um, or what motivates them, what moves them. You still need your, um, physiology and psychology to be cooperating Mm -hmm. otherwise none of this happened and all that you work so hard will be lost and we see that often as well people come to us where their relationships have fallen apart because of this whether they've fallen into you know um, depression or addictions or battling with some chronic issue that was kind of you know not addressed um, early on and it led to a lot of unnecessary um, suffering. Mm-hmm. So for someone that may be listening to this and this is resonating with them, they're feeling stagnant and stuck, what's the best piece of practical advice that you could give for someone? Hmm. A lot is coming to me, but I would say um, truly... I can say a lot of things that are important, but I want to not miss the most important thing, and that's the individual themselves. And starting there, being committed, um, kind of, um, we have to hash certain things internally in order to be able to ready. I mean, you have, we have patients that even show up to our practices, but they're not there yet to truly um, make the changes that are necessary. And then you see the opposite side as well. So having that internal first and foremost, developing awareness, I would say around, you know what? I've burned my fingers. I'm done with putting my hand over the, the fire you know, whichever, however that looks like. So Mm -hmm. developing awareness and maybe unlearning certain things that have been fed to us, that certain feeling certain way is just a normal part of life. Having chronic pain, dragging yourself all day long, um, having this low grade depression, not sleeping, using uppers to get going, stimulants, using downers to be able to unwind and and sleep or rest. This is not normal. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Yeah. So 
that kind of leads into, you know, allopathic medicine sometimes often looks more for a quick fix or a certain way of creating those changes, such as downers or uppers, to create that physiological state that you were just describing. I did want to talk about biofeedback, one of the most affordable ways to reduce stress and kind of bring you back into that state of awareness that we were talking about. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So um, maybe let's, uh, for, for those listeners who are not familiar or are just hearing um, about biofeedback for the first time, maybe let's start by actually explaining what it is. Would that, yeah. Does that sound good? That sounds perfect. Okay. So, you know, I always like to break things um, apart so we can, we can better understand it and not forget. So let's kind of um, uh, break down the word biofeedback. So bio referring to your biology and feedback and what, what kind of, you know, we will talk about what that biology specifically means in this case. And feedback is feedback, getting, receiving um, signals in terms of whether it's high, low, balanced. And so biofeedback is looking at certain signals that the body produces. So what are some of those signals? Your um, breathing rate and rhythm, your heart rate and rhythm, which is, again, the rhythm piece is as important because it's not just about looking at your pulse. I know a lot of us wear this and that, that uh, gadget that shows us the pulse, but it's the rhythm goes much more, is much more uh, than just that, much, much more than just the number in terms of the amount, the, the quality of information it gives us. So heart rate and rhythm, breathing rate and rhythm, um, muscle contraction, perspiration in the extremity so whether or not let's say you know your palms or your feet are sweaty half the time um, and also temperature of the extremities and these are these are some of the signals that we look at or brain waves and what do these signals signify they're basically a representation of how your psychology manifests in your body physically meaning Mm -hmm. you know um Again, in case the listeners are not familiar, your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic and parasympathetic. Your sympathetic being more in charge of fight or flight, um, freeze as well, and parasympathetic being more so rest and digest. And the goal is not to deem one bad and the other one good. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we kind of hear that and we take that on. So it's not that the sympathetic or the fight or flight is bad and the parasympathetic is good. It's the balance, the dance between them. Because as a a human, as a person who wants to be resilient, we need to be able to muster up the the ability to, you know, run for it or show up in front of an audience and speak and not fall apart. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, or get up in the morning and, and go conquer the day. But at the same time, we need to be able to, you know, have to adapt, exactly, be able to Mm -hmm. relax enough to digest our food, be able to calm ourselves enough to actually have a libido, you know, and or um, be able to sleep 
and and so many other things and and have that growth happen which is a lot of times in the parasympathetic state so they're both needed and these signals that we were talking about you know whether it's the heart rate or the or the muscle contraction they signify um that dance between the two branches of the nervous system and it used to be that we would think because we refer to the autonomic nervous system as more so involuntary we thought well it is what it is we can't do anything about it hence resorting to let's say medications um to to kind of modulate but the the beauty of biofeedback is learning to self-modulate meaning if if it's imbalanced towards this or that we can actually bring the systems back online and back into balance. And this is really what we do um, as part of our biofeedback work with, with patients. Right. So in order to modulate ourselves, we need to get into a state of coherence where everything is on the same rhythm. So our heart rate, yes. our blood pressure, our respiration. So in order to change those, what do you usually recommend? Uh, it depends. <laughs> it depends a lot of times, um, where we start, let's say if we're focusing on the biofeedback piece is doing an assessment and understanding for that specific individual, what is the gateway? Um, what is that, that knob that if it turn makes the most difference? So is it the breathing that, that, you know, needs to be addressed? Is it focusing on HRV? Is it that they're just tight? They're, you know, um, their muscles are so tight and they're, they're kind of contracting and holding them, themselves and kind of suppressing things that way um, or, um, or any of the other things. So it really depends. A lot of times we find or I've found that addressing the breath can be such a beautiful gateway just becoming aware of how, you know, I show my patients. So, so when you do biofeedback, just to kind of complete the, the, the concept, you are actually connected or hooked up to sensors that are picking up some of, the, if you're doing in, uh, instrumental biofeedback or biofeedback with instrumentation, you are connected to, to these um, sensors and you are seeing the results in real time of how, things are running in your body. Um, and then of course you can kind of add a lot of bells and whistles and fun things. You know, you can kind of just have the patient think about something and, and that's enough to throw some stuff, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, out of, out of rhythm. So, you know, um, if you're, if you're witnessing that, I, I show them how at the beginning when I'm doing this, my assessment, how, they're not breathing. It's this kind of, you know, stepwise function um, or graph where um, they take, take a gas and then there's plateau. There's no breathing in or out. And then, you know, for some seconds, and then there's a sigh, which, you know, is the exhale. And then when they're almost running out of breath, again, none of the, uh, the, why, the reason why we need, um, let's say, instruments is because these signals need to be magnified. And that's what that little <laughs> expensive biofeedback device does. It magnifies these signals so that we can actually see them. Mm -hmm. So so what we learn is just, you know, going back to that piece of awareness that, that you were talking about, Katerina, bringing their awareness to the fact that, you know what? Of the five minutes that you were sitting here, you weren't breathing for half of it. And, and, and that's 
probably the case the rest of the time. And, and explaining the relationship between breathing and your nervous system and the heart coherence and the brain coherence. So a lot of times, you know, kind of starting there can be beneficial regardless of who you are. Yeah, we, me and Stephanie actually took the elective together for mind, body, um, and biofeedback, Beautiful. and it's it was crazy being hooked up to the machine and seeing myself not breathe, and then having that awareness afterwards and feeling myself not breathe. You know, once you develop that awareness, you can. That's you know a gift you can have for life is realizing you're not absolutely breathing. What? Yeah, and absolutely. why is breath? Uh, so important. Why is breathing? How can we change anything if we don't know there's a problem to begin with? If there is no awareness of of the issue, mm-hmm. where is change going to come from? We need to first have an understanding, a basis of what might be the the issue in order for us to be able to do something. For about sure. It. So, um, and that stays with people a lot of times. Mm-hmm. But you know when. Um, uh, patients first talk to us, um, being interested in, in, you know, seeking our care. What we always say is what you learn are lifelong skills. This is not just to address, let's say the headache, the headache will be addressed for sure. But what you will learn will not only impact the rest of your life, but also the, the lives of the people around you because of all the, the things that we, you know, doctors, teacher, the things that we discussed, the things that you will learn and um, the awarenesses that you will develop and cultivate about yourself throughout the work that we do together. Right. And sorry, you need to ask me the question one more time. No, you're I, fine. I Th- kind of went on thank you for and- uh, saying that because it is a gift for life. You know, you have that and you can implement that for the rest of your life and it's a great tool to use. But I wanted to ask why we specifically find the breath the most helpful by changing the breath to help the overall body balance its nervous system between sympathetic and parasympathetic. Yes. So um, without kind of getting into too much, you know, let's say complicated physiology, understanding that, um, you know, the muscles that are in charge of, mainly in charge of breathing, um, if we're, let's say, want to properly breathe and and not kind of considering shallow um, upper chest level breathing, let's say the diaphragm and and the rib cage, these muscles are are cannot just work on their own. They need innervation, um, meaning the nervous system must go and kind of connect to these muscles and innervate them to be able to um, allow them to expand or contract. And so that's one piece that there's an actual literal physical connection between the nervous system and the the respiratory system or, or Mm -hmm. your lungs. And, you know, kind of the whole, um, the whole, uh, the, you know, breath work has always been a part of no matter whether you're looking at look at it scientifically or um you know uh, amongst mystics it's always been a part like it's the first thing that we have and it's kind of the last thing that that leaves us so being able to um we just even intuitively know that you know what if i must calm myself down um for whatever reason the thing that we resort to 
you know, I don't want to have a panic attack. The thing that we resort to is tuning back to, um, uh, to, to our breath. You know, if we're, let's say, meditating, what, what, what is it a lot of times that we hear? The thoughts come. That's what, you know, the, the purpose of the mind. It wants to problem solve. Don't judge it. Observe them. But then bring your attention back to your breath. So it really, so what we see, because you mentioned the word coherence, what we see is by learning how to breathe and by kind of making that become your um, default, you will bring the heart rate and rhythm back to coherence. A lot of times, let's say if we start directly with HRV there's, or, or heart rate variability, um, we can have success. But it definitely is much more smoother and faster if we start mm -hmm. with the breath. And same goes, so, so the, the lungs or the breath work, the diaphragmatic breathing becomes the connection between brain coherence, brain and heart coherence. And so these three systems, the brain, the heart, and the lungs do this beautiful dance together where it will help you with your energy, it will help you with just mental clarity. It will help you you experience life a lot uh, more effortlessly. That's really interesting. I'm just thinking now about how when people have panic attacks and they hyperventilate, how that's also connected to the breath. And then coherence, the opposite of that scale, is again connected to the breath. But so it's being able to identify your stress triggers being yes. able to identify where you hold stress in the body and everyone can can benefit from breath. Yes, absolutely. Another big, uh, other big piece with, you know, doing biofeedback is the actual, not just the mindfulness, which is such a huge piece of, of biofeedback or doing mind body work, of course, the name is there, but also body awareness. Meaning, like you were saying, Stephanie, where is it in the body that we hold what we hold? So, for example, um, uh, a patient of mine when, who has been struggling with uh, anxiety from, from childhood experiences his anxiety in his chest, chest tightness, and in his head. Like there's these constant racing thoughts. For me, if I think about if I'm, if somebody, something is kind of throwing me off or, or if I'm feeling anxious, it's in my belly, you know? So understanding where and how things manifest, you know, I get butterflies and which, you know, um, I try to trick my brain and say, I'm just excited about this, you know? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so understanding first and foremost, a lot of Sometimes people need time, our patients need time to figure it out because they, they truly don't know how to describe what they're, they will put a label to it because that's what they've heard, but to actually explain how they feel is a struggle. So that's where we start, that body awareness. Yeah, I'm on the biofeedback shift right now mm -hmm. at our clinic and part of the intake is observing the patient and just as the physician and then it's actually having the patient kind of create the awareness to see where they hold their stress and how they respond to stress. So such as the pandemic, 
Right now, a lot of people are having racing thoughts, thoughts about the future, uncertainty. So there we see, okay, their, whole, their stress response to that is ruminating thoughts. Their brain is overactive, like you were just mentioning, or their mind is overactive. Absolutely. And, and you know, I want to say something to that because, um, you know, a lot of times there's this notion that stress is bad. Let's do everything humanely possible to eliminate stress, which guess what? That also creates stress, added stress to avoid mm -hmm. stress, right? And so, so mm -hmm. part of why I, <laughs> resiliency is, is part of the, the inner, you know, circle um, on the wheel on my website is because it's not about living inside a bubble. It's not about being so afraid of being exposed to the slightest stress that we actually prevent ourselves from actually mm -hmm. living. You know, we hide from experiences. We, you know, we stay away from relationships. We stay away from adventures because God forbid they, they, they might be, you know, they might add a slight stress to our bodies, right? It's not about, you know, welcome chronic stress and go look for it. But it's also about the other side of the, the, you know, the other side cannot be ignored, which is the stress is going to be there. I mean, everything aside, just environmentally, we're all under stress. And none of us really, you know, the fact that I'm on a podcast <laughs> with you lovely ladies means I'm not living in a cave <laughs> yet. So, so we, environmentally, we're exposed. And the goal, so, is not to be running away from stress and becoming more fragile and more weak. The goal is to build resiliency. Part of that resiliency is, you know, um, the ability to um, self-regulate, the ability to understand whether my immediate current perception or interpretation of the world or what just happened is accurate or not. Maybe I need to just take a pause and not freak out about this. So that self-regulation piece, that building resiliency, and, and you know, one of the ways, you know, if you're wondering, well, how do we build resiliency? Sometimes actually in a controlled manner, exposing ourselves to some stressors, you know, um, you know the term hormesis comes up. So in a controlled way, you're um, stressing your body. That's what exercise is. That's what lifting weights are, is. Um, or, you know, exposing yourself to cold or a fast or you name it, you know, kind of, you know, um, uh, a silent retreat uh, or any of these things that, again, in a controlled manner are conditioning our physicality and our psychology and put us in a state of discomfort can actually be helpful. So I want to really, because we talk a lot about stress and stress management and reducing stress, but I want to make sure that this piece is not yeah, so bad. It's, it's similar to, I want to compare it to dog training. So we've been training our dog and the ideal setting to train a dog is in a setting where they're the most distracted. So you get them in the highest state of stress, basically, and then you train them in that environment so that they respond to you in an unstressful environment, basically. 
So that's similar to, yes. you know, dog training in a sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, just truly remembering what a beautiful machinery, I mean, what a beautiful complex system we have going on for us from, from the physical uh, aspect to the psychological aspect. And so this all ties into the idea of longevity medicine, right? With, yes. Um, again, not with the sense of anti-aging and cosmetics, but actually um, lifespan and health span. Yes, exactly. So, you know, um, uh, thank you for, for unpacking that board because we're big believers in, um, you know, the pillars of, of longevity. You know, if you think about most of us want to have a prolonged life. So, so extending lifespan is actually um, even a part of the, the, the conventional or allopathic model. However, what is might be missing or less emphasized is that piece of health span. So if you think about it um, in a kind of a two-legged stool, um, if there <laughs> is one, <laughs> you know, you have health span and lifespan. The, the health span determines the quality because let's say um you know you're in seven you're the seventh decade of your life and there is you have this you know uh x diagnosis disease and you there's this um really effective um treatment for it that will absolutely obliterate and destroy your quality of life how many of us, and it will add, let's say, two years to your life. How many of us willingly, some of us out of fear might say yes, but how many of us really um, in a, in a, embrace this and, and welcome it, you know? So the health span piece is the quality. You want to extend your life. Yes, we're all for that, but not without the other piece, which is, in also enhancing and improving the quality of life and not not forgetting about that and pretty much everything that we've talked about and i don't know how we can truly um uh disconnect the, the, the two concepts the only way i can see is okay we're gonna let you go for majority of your life and not listen to the dashboard of the car not listen to all the signs and uh, symptoms or signals that your body is giving you and then come to finally throw your body systems um, so out of balance that the, the this ease and the symptoms will set in, and then we'll just give you a, a drug to just keep you going for some some more time while you're suffering from still from uncontrolled mm -hmm. symptoms because the medication is not doing it all, and also from the side effects of those. And but hey, you know, we, we might as well just throw some some yeah. more at you. I mean, I I have patients in their 30s that have already been prescribed three to four medications for chronic diseases without any effort. So, so statins, high blood pressure medication, antidepressants. I see it time and time again. And, and there's no conversation around. And also, <laughs> guess what the fourth one is? PPIs, antiacids. So, so nobody goes to this to, to explain, okay, if, if I'm 30 some years old, although <laughs> the reason why some of my patients are 
coming to us is because of that, because they're asking that question. If I'm in my 30s and I'm being put on three or four medications, what should I expect if I'm in my sixth or seventh decade of life? You know, and and how, what, you know, what sense of myself will I start to have while being on these medications? Again, I'm not anti them. When needed, they are needed. Yeah. Well, I did want to say to that point, we we're passionate about people being on that many drugs because we're passionate about the root cause and we're seeing it be overlooked. And I think that's why we're so angry or we get so fired up when we see a patient who's been on X amount of drugs, like you were mentioning. And it's basically just, it's like putting a bandaid on your car and hoping that it will still run tomorrow or, you know, avoiding the signals that your car is giving you on the dashboard and the first line of defense that should not be the first line of defense you know we haven't exhausted Mm -hmm. anything so again i'm all for these things when everything else has been done and we're not seeing results they're treatment resistant for some reason you know let's say there is a tumor on the adrenal gland that's pushing out you know um uh, adrenal gland hormones and we have high blood pressure and until some let's say um determinant thing is done the person needs to be on a high blood pressure medication to bring their system uh, symptoms under control and to avoid you know uh, unnecessary conse- unnecessary consequences so that is an example or again acute cases but we're talking about resilient 30 year olds be- that for lack of due to lack of knowing and um, having let themselves go are where, are where they're at, you know? And the, the remedy is not that. The remedy is, you know what? The fact that all of these things are connected. You know, we know, let's say, if you've put on 50 pounds, it's not just aesthetically uh, that it's an issue for, for, for the person itself, but it's more so the inflammation. We know the fat. Uh, tissue is an endocrine organ, meaning it's a, it's a it's like a hormone gland. It's producing hormones, and it's producing also. It's communicating to your immune system. It's creating inflammation, and guess what? That that leads to down the road, brain inflammation and depression, or anxiety, or anger, or cycles of addiction. So so you can see how this vicious cycle works, unless somebody going back to what we were talking about earlier says you know what i'm committed you know however this past lifestyle was serving me my commitment to change is more important than that me gaining back my health is more important than my my addiction to certain things or my my reliance or dependence on certain Mm -hmm. things yeah and i really think this all ties back to the reason why you and Katerina and I chose this profession because it's where these drugs prescribed to these patients was the why ever asked like was the why ever mm-hmm. asked of why they have hypertension why do they have depression that root yes, cause may have never absolutely. been treated absolutely and and mm-hmm. really understanding you know on this whole piece of you know what we do which is um personalized care, providing individualized, customized, personalized care is really what is, what are the underlying reasons 
for this person that led to them having hypertension or some sort of cardiometabolic disorder or an autoimmune disease as opposed to the other person. Because just because there are two yeah. people that are having multiple sclerosis, and we will call it MS, um, it does not mean, and, and you know what, maybe the down the line symptoms are the same in terms of you know, the, the neurodegenerative um, neurological symptoms are the same, more or less. But the reasons why someone might have had mold exposure and they, it just kind of throw them off the ledge or somebody else might have had a trauma. We know the role of the, you know, um, kind of mental emotional traumas when we're talking about when we're dealing with autoimmunities. Yes, the predisposition mm -hmm. might have been there, but what threw them off the ledge was a, a variety of things, including um, that, you know, the last piece. So, so not being afraid of complexity because we're dealing with a complex system you know, um, and welcoming that multifactorial mm -hmm. aspect. So, you know, it's like a, it is truly artistic, you know, it is, the, it is, a, there's a reason why it's called the art of medicine for you to understand and treat right. accordingly. Um, so just going into that, are there any specific conditions that you specifically treat or why would someone reach out to your practice specifically? Yes. So we, um, maybe, maybe I can give you two broad groups. There are groups of folks that, um, are wanting to improve or enhance their performance. So they're not necessarily sick in a way, or it's not about an illness or a disease state, but they just want to feel better and or they want to maintain their health, which that, of course, you, you ladies can relate is music to our ears, you know, uh, we don't get enough of it. Um, but that's the goal to, to spread, it, you know, the message, which is mm -hmm. what you ladies are doing as well, to to get people to kind of join that group. The other group is chronic disease. So and, and you know, for for people, again, it's important to understand these terms and not just kind of superficially go by them. So what is chronic disease. Chronic diseases uh, are the set of diseases that are um, coming about over time. You know, they're not happening overnight. There has been a series um, of things that have led to a particular manifestation. Um, and examples are, you know, we talked about a number of them, uh, hypertension or high blood pressure, uh, cardiometabolic diseases, so metabolic disorders, non-alcoholic fatty liver, which is just becoming the next thing now, mm -hmm. unfortunately, um, anxiety, depression, which have physiological um, uh, underpinnings, um, autoimmunities, pain, chronic pain, cancer, so all of these things. And we have patients um, from all walks of life, all genders, all ages, um, with all of these things, which kind of gives us a good sense of, you know what, certain things are no longer <laughs> reserved for, you know, when we're in our later, um, let's say decades of life, they're happening early hormonal imbalances. So all of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that yeah. because I'm sure tons of people in Santa Monica would love to come and see you um, and try out biofeedback for themselves. So what is next 
What is next That's for you? Uh, so we continuing to um, grow this practice and spread our message, really, and finding ways of connecting with more people and educating more people and, and reminding them of, you know, how amazing and resilient their bodies are and what is needed is for them to create the optimal environment for for the healing to take place um so and that can you know um kind of come about in uh, a variety of different ways so um there is work here at the practice to be done seeing patients um i also uh am an adjunct faculty at an acupuncture school medical school here and so it's a beautiful um, thing because I get to talk about naturopathic medicine to acupuncture students. And um, a lot of them have, even though they're in the quote unquote alternative world, they haven't heard of us. So um, it's kind of that piece of it is nice. And then uh, we are starting to actually um, join forces with um, groups. So, you know, kind of, uh, taking what we do one-on-one -on -one with patients uh, to maybe a bigger audience and scale that is um, also in the works. The name of our practice is Conscious Human Medicine and there's a ton of information um, freely, readily available for people um, and that is um, the website also is the name of our practice, Conscious Human Medicine, spelled out C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S, human, H-U-M-A-N, and medicine.com. So they can, they can check us out uh, on that website as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Hashemi, for joining us today and sharing your story. You can find Dr. Hashemi online at www.drmahbube.com, and that is D-R-M-A-H. B-O-U-B-E-H dot com or on Instagram at Dr. Ma Bube. And before we close the show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, comment, rate, review, and most of all, share with someone you know. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much, ladies, and thank you to your listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much.